Welcome everyone to Nerdy Latinas podcast. This is Sabritas and I'm here with my co-host Short Latina. Hi everyone. And today we are delving into the topic of career expectation versus reality. And our expert guest today is Erika Cruz. She's a Latina self-discovery coach, TikToker, and yoga instructor. She's a Bay Area native who has been featured on detailed therapy podcasts as told by women and the Wellness Glow Up podcast. Welcome, Erica. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me. Well, I mean, I'm a little anxious. <laughs> Tomorrow is election day. I don't know how you're feeling. Definitely high anxiety, that's for <laughs> sure. Like, regardless of what happens, I'm almost concerned for the public safety. I completely agree. It's just a ball of anxiety and I don't know what's going to come of this election and I just hope that more violence doesn't stem from it. But tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself. I know I gave a little brief introduction, but perhaps you can say a little bit more about you and what you do. Of course. So um, as you mentioned, I am a self-discovery coach. I have kind of started calling myself a self-discovery expert, but I mean, nobody gives you a certification for being a self-discovery expert. So I'm just (laughs) saying I am. I spent eight years in the corporate world. I worked in tech. Today's actually my first day, my first Monday as in a full-time entrepreneur. So it's really exciting. Yeah. um, I worked in tech for, for quite a while. I held a few different roles and it was great. I learned a ton, but I always knew that I wanted to help the community a little more directly. And Mm -hmm. during quarantine, that's when I really had a lot of time to focus on my self-discovery and learn more about my priorities and what I valued and who I am and what I want out of my life. I just knew, you know, tech is great and it's the future and it's great to have representation, but I really wanted to do something to really connect with my community. And that's where my group coaching program called The Purpose Driven Latina came out of. So that's been my main focus. And I work directly with Latinas of all different backgrounds, some that are immigrants themselves, some that are first gen, some that are second gen and we focus on finding purpose and fulfillment all through self-discovery pretty much i need a lot of help in that area thank you i know wait can i get a consult right now Um, because i feel so fucking lost Um, yeah you you know what's like you know what i love so much about like self-discovery it's that um it's It's a journey. Like we never get to this like one destination of like, that's it, I'm done. Like there's no more growth. You know, even when we reach the goals that we're trying to accomplish, there's always something more out there. And we as humans, we are constantly evolving just like everything else is. You know, as we learn more, as we have new experiences. And so this idea of self-discovery is just a never-ending journey. So let's rewind a little to when little Erica was a yee and was thinking about the future. When you were younger, what did you want to be? I wanted to be a lawyer because I wanted to help people. As I got older and took a few law classes when I was in college, I learned that sometimes you can help people, but mainly you were just looking for ways to make the law work for you. And it wasn't exactly what I thought it, it could be. And I did mm-hmm. intern at like a law firm when I was in college. And I was like, yep, not what I want to do. Yeah. I thought I wanted to be a, a lawyer. And I think a lot of this 
has to do with like the immigrant parents that, you know, just understand like, ah, you could be a doctor or you could be a lawyer. So the idea was my brother would always be a doctor and I was going to be the lawyer because I liked to argue. That was my parents, you know, justification. So how much of that was actually my dreams versus family expectations? Uh, probably majority family expectations and me doing what me saying what my parents wanted to hear. But mm -hmm. as I got older and started to learn more about myself, I realized that that probably wasn't the best place for me. And I think about my own life where I wanted to be a lawyer because I wanted to help people. And Sabrina, tell us what you want to be. <laughs> I want to be a lawyer. <laughs> this is so funny because I don't know if I'm going to become a lawyer, y'all. I do, I do, um, can relate to what you're saying, Erica, where it's, it's kind of that expectation. It's like, well, you either become a doctor or a lawyer. And it's kind of like, well, what if I don't want to be that? Like, what are my other options? You know, I think a privilege about going to college and just like, I think college allows you to explore a lot. And like you said, when you, you're able to go to different internships and try new things, you're like, and get a taste of things, that's when you're able to kind of do this process of elimination. But a lot of it, you know, a lot of those internships or jobs that you get at first, you know, they're all based on, you know, what other people want for you, what your parents want for you. But then you have to think to yourself, you know, what do I want for myself? And so you mentioned your brother. So is your brother a doctor? He's not. He works for the federal government. <laughs> <laughs> so there's the show that parents are definitely setting these these expectations I, I i really wonder where they're where they come from you know our parents tell us i want you to have a you know a nine to five job i want you to be able to have pto i want you to be able to decide when not to work to have this privilege right of what a job company can give you like medical care dental care and vision care a lot of the things that our parents are not able to have especially undocumented immigrants right and these expectations are put on us, but we were talking about how they were never specifically verbalized to us. It was just like, we came here for you, make the best of it. To expand the, the conversation about immigrant parents, is it possible that immigrant parents were so in survival mode to give us the essential needs of house, food, that the things like that of what do you want to be when you grow up or are you thinking about college? We're not addressed. Yeah, I have I have a lot of opinions on this. Actually, I'm not sure if, well, no, you couldn't have planned this because we scheduled this like weeks ago. But um, I actually, well, one, just took my entrepreneurial journey and decided to leave the stable job. So I've had, I have stories about what that was like, you know, between my mom and I. But I also have been hosting family expectation workshops. That's kind of been like my focus lately. So uh, I have a lot of thoughts on this. I think the reason that our parents may, or immigrant parents in general, think of like a doctor or a lawyer, it's because these are traditionally the careers that basically gave you the most income and the most security. And it was like the professions that they knew of. But now, you know, as a coach, I told my mom that I was going to leave my job for coaching. And she was like, what is that? Like, you're not going to make money doing that. Don't do that. That's like the worst idea possible because she can't even imagine what this job, what this career could be. And it's just because her whole life she's cleaned houses, right? So her idea of what is even possible is very limited because of her life experiences as an immigrant. And a lot of the jobs that exist now didn't exist when our parents were young. You know, technology is really just like revolutionizing everything. And as you were mentioning about the needs, 
Um, I actually have a friend named Mariela that's also a coach and she's like a business and life coach. <clears throat> and we were talking about, she mentioned the Maslow's hierarchy of needs and like with our parents, yeah, they're worried about like the basic level of needs that they just want us to reach the next level. But so a lot of times what ends up happening for our generation is like our parents want us to go find this stable job so that, you know, everything that they struggled, we don't have to deal with and live happily ever after but then our generation is like um i need more and our parents are kind of like you know you should just be happy with what you have like at least you're not out cleaning houses or doing yard work but if you look at maslow's hierarchy of needs where the bottom is like your survival which is food water shelter like yeah they maybe had that in their motherland but they came to the states for that next level which was economic freedom opportunity being able to like own property and and all that so for us being born into that next level we can't help but want to keep going up like we want connection with people we want to be the best that we can be so a lot of times that disconnect between us and our parents is pretty big because our parents want these certain things for us and it's not because they want them to make our life miserable you know like they don't want you to go become a doctor to live out on the street that's like not the case like they want what they think is best for you and what can cause a lot of friction is whenever what they want for you isn't what you want can you tell me a little bit what what is what was it called yeah so it's maslow's hierarchy of needs it's typically learned about in psychology courses. So the first level of needs is your physiological needs. So that's air, water, food, shelter, sleep. And then the next level, once that level of needs is met, it's your safety. So it's personal security, employment, health. And then the next level is love and belonging. But you know, if you don't have water to drink, you're not worried about love and belonging. You're worried about, I need to survive. So that's kind of why it's a hierarchy. And then after love and belonging, then there's esteem. So that's like respect, self-esteem, status, recognition. And then the next one, the top one is self-actualization, which is the desire to be the most that you can be. And to add to that, um, I recently, I have to confirm these facts and I will after that episode, but I believe that the Maslow hierarchy of needs was taken actually from indigenous teachings where it was incomplete, where Maslow stopped it at self-actualization, but to complete it was to then help the community, like bring it back in a circle and provide what you've learned back. You're shaking your head, Erica. You're like, yep. Yeah. Yes. I've heard this as well. And I hadn't heard the indigenous piece, but that makes me so happy. <laughs> So I want to go do research on this after as well. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that either. Um, I think our listeners will find it very interesting to, uh, to know that, you know, this hierarchy exists. I had a question kind of circling back to the theme of family. Erica, I'm curious, can you share with us, you know, your family dynamics? How's your relationship with your brother and, you know, your family in general? I'm the youngest. My brother is six years older, um, which meant we weren't very close because not only were we, not only did we have different interests and different personality types, but the age gap was, was pretty large. My brother was really good at school. He easily got A's and I was like the straight C student until I got to community college. And then it was I learned about the mindsets like growth mindset versus fixed mindset and how our abilities aren't fixed and you can pretty much what you put effort into is what you can get back. And that's when things completely shifted. But um, I remember my brother telling me that I would never get into UC Berkeley. So that's the school I went to. 
to prove to my brother that I could do it, which was like a silly reason to do it. But it was, it was a great experience to go there. And um, so I hope that answered your question. (laughs) (laughs) It definitely does. It gives me a little bit of like insight into your relationship and like your dynamics. Um, (laughs) How about with your mom? You mentioned your mom. How's your relationship with your mom? We are pretty tight. I would say I actually just moved in with her about a month ago. It's, you know, it was all part of this like change in my life to give this entrepreneurial life a chance and not worry about like crazy Silicon Valley prices. So I moved here and now, so I'm essentially back in my like childhood room. So it kind of came full circle. Funny how that works out. Um, My mom is a single mom, pretty much just her and I. And I think at this point, now that I'm an adult, um, we get along pretty well. We help one another and, but we still give each other our space. So that's nice. Um, yeah, I did mention my mom. So she thought I was crazy. She was like, how are you going to leave a great income at a tech company that's super flexible, gives you all these benefits to go like start this thing that I don't even understand. But after the first month giving my coaching business a shot and she saw how well it went, that's when she was like, okay, I get it. Like, I just didn't understand how this could work, but you're doing it. So good for you. What drives your passion? I would say that my mom is definitely part of that. Just seeing her come to the States and to this day, she still cleans houses. And then I had the opportunity to get an education, get a a good career. I really do feel like her struggles have set me up for what I'm able to do now. I would say she's definitely like the, the main why, but when I think of it even broader, Anytime that I've done anything in my life that feels like advancement, whether it was a meditation retreat or working at a tech company or yoga teacher training, I am normally the only one that looks like me. And I'm very tired of that. Like I completely call bullshit. There's no reason why there shouldn't be more women of color, more Latinas in these rooms, because we are, we're qualified, we're intelligent, we're hardworking, nos ponemos las pilas. So I really have just looked at, okay, in my life, I have been given some really good opportunities. Um, I've worked really hard, but I've also been given some good opportunities and I've also received some mentorship that's helped me get to where I am. So, and Michelle Obama has like, she talks about this in her book about like, whenever you cross the door of opportunity, you don't shut that door behind you, but rather you help people through it. And that's really what is my driving force, I think right now. I was quote unquote successful, but I wasn't happy. And I really found fulfillment once I turned back to my community and pretty much put everything that I've learned along the way into this like coaching program. And just in in the future, I hope to also be able to do mentorship for even a younger group. But my, my whole plan is how can I take anything and everything that I've learned and come back and share it with my community so that we can all collectively advance? Because what's the point of me getting far ahead if I'm there alone. Is it possible that the concept of doing what you love and doing your passion is very much American? Meaning in our countries, uh, you know, our parents are countries of origin, it was more about survival. It was, you know, finding a job, finding income. And we have, I feel like we have as immigrant children, uh, this privilege that we can find a career that we love. And when we do that, 
which we have a right to do. Our parents are like, what are you doing? Why are you pursuing something you love if you are already comfortable? And I think you touched on that with, with your mom. But do you think following what you love and your passion is American? Or is it just maybe a generational thing? I think it's a little of both. I don't know how, if it really has to do much with generations. I think it has to do with like your actual family. So had my parents been born in the U.S., and spoke English and had at least a high school education, my life would be completely different than what it has been. So, I mean, who knows? Maybe I would have been even further along because my parents like worked their way up that like pyramid. So um, I think being in America, so I've actually spent a lot of time in Mexico. Um, even during quarantine, I spent about two months there. And I would say that being poor in the United States compared to being poor in Mexico is very different. Here in the States, at least from my experience, and I don't mean to generalize because I don't have facts that, you know, support this, but the being poor in America means you at least still have access to like clean water and things like that. Or United States, I shouldn't say America because the whole continent is, is America, but being yeah. in a place like Mexico, it, you really just don't even know if you're going to have another meal. And I know that there's people in that situation here as well. So I don't know how much of it is actually being an American thing versus in America, as much as we have a lot of issues here and there, there's still definitely more opportunity here. Like there's this, there's a reason why people make their way here from other, from other countries. Unfortunately, what's going on right now, it's, yeah, it's kind of changing the perception, but I would say that, you know, I've met people in Mexico that are not poor and they have had the access to education and they are living their dreams. So I have friends there that have started their own businesses. I have friends that are coaches out there that love what they're doing. So I don't think it's only something here in America. I think it more has to do with, so you asked about like a generational thing. Like I think it does have to do with where your family dynamics are, you know, because when you are fighting for survival, you're not worried about like doing something that's fulfilling. You're literally worried about your children eating the next day. And in those situations, I think doing what you love feels a little inaccessible. I'm the oldest of four children. Um, I have three younger siblings. I have one sister and two brothers. I think something that comes into play there is that I'm the oldest of a monolingual Spanish home. And so that turned into me being an interpreter a lot. Being that no one in my family had gone to college, I think it, it was also up to me to be like second parent, but also like a guidance counselor for my siblings when they were applying to college and like deciding what to do with their future. I mean, I was babysitting like not only my siblings, but like kids from our community. I was, I was 10 and then these kids are like two or three. And so it was like, it was just like a lot of managing. Like I, my summers weren't spent, even the years before I went to work in the fields when I was 14, I was babysitting. So I was also like working in another capacity. But I don't know that I would say that I like didn't have a childhood. I think it was just a different childhood. And I was 14 years old when I started working in the fields. I only went over summers I'm with my mom. I started off blueberry picking. That's one of the big crops in Eastern Washington during the summers. And then started the apple harvest. And then I did several other things. So like weeding, pruning, blueberries, apples, cherries, raspberries, cabbage. I've done a lot of like farm work. 
You think the first year was the hardest? I, my mom gets up at three in the morning during the summer, two or three in the morning, and then I would try to wake up at that time to help her, but it was just so hard. The, the fields are dangerous and the fields are not a place that you go to play. Um, and there's definitely campaigns from several farm worker organizations to end child labor in the farms. But I think a lot of the families depend on the income of the children to live and to survive. And that's what it ended up being for my family is that like my income made it possible for me and my siblings to get adequate school supplies for from year to year. I think my income added a little bit of financial flexibility to my family that just was not possible. I mean, we lived with two other families in a trailer home. Like we all shared one room and there were six of us. And I think that the income that the children are able to bring in for the families can mean life. I mean, obviously I think as a whole, farm workers need better labor protections as a baseline and that will ultimately lead to better well-being for the children. Yeah, I would definitely look at it fondly and I also, I think there's something very rewarding of like being able to like feel like an adult as like a 14 year old and like going to the fields and like more than that I think eventually my siblings started going with me and my mom so it was like me and my mom at first and then me and my mom my sister because she's the next one and so then every couple of years another sibling would come along until all four of us were going with my mom to the field and that was just so much fun it was you know we go together in the mornings like we we take our meals together out in the fields and I mean at the end of the day it's so really hard work I would come back home and I was be exhausted. I had a lot of joint pain. I hated waking up that early. I would I would count down the days until the season was over, uh, but like my siblings wouldn't, so they, they enjoyed it a little bit more. But for me, it was just so hard. And at the end of the day, I look back on it positively. So for the past couple of years, I've been able to get summer internships, like do other things and then just go back home. And I would say, yes, most of the time I do go back from work in the fields, but it's usually not, not for the whole summer or the whole season. It's usually like a month or a couple of weeks. But this past summer I had to do all summer, which is not ideal. I, was, I think with the coronavirus going on, there wasn't any internships really. There was just like a lot of things that, that didn't line up for me. But like the summer before that, I went back and worked in apple harvest with my mom. You know, my family's from Oaxaca. They came to the United States a little more than two decades ago. And I think the main driver behind why we, we worked in the fields was because everyone from our pueblo was working in the fields. And like, they there was word of mouth that came back to the pueblo. It was like, oh, this is good money. Like people were building, were able to like build homes in our pueblo because of the money that adult children were sending back to their, to the grandmas in the pueblo. And so that was one main driver of why we ended up in the fields. And then the second I think is that usually it's a pretty accessible job. I, every year that I've gone, like I've gone and applied and heard back within two days of when, when I should be coming in. I think I'm very fortunate in that I, I never felt really any sort of pressure growing up of expectations that my mom had for me. I think eventually, I mean, I chose to start going to the fields with her. Um, I asked her to go with her and, and she was pretty accepting. But then later on, she started uh, reminding me that the fields was probably not where I wanted to work for my whole life. And, you know, I didn't enjoy it, so I didn't want to be in the fields forever either. That's not to say it's not a, a good job or a happy job. My mom has worked there for over two decades now, um, but it was just like, she didn't see that for me. I didn't see that for me. My mom always dreamed of going to school. I think she did like a year middle school. And so she always dreamed of like doing more than that, but it was just like financially infeasible. But even the schooling that she was able to get, she had paid her way through by living with another family. 
in the city as like a live-in babysitter. And I was keeping the dreams that she had for me and my sister, my, me and my sister especially more than, I mean, maybe I feel sometimes my brothers, but also my brothers, was that we would be able to, to be independent and to get our education and like not have to depend on anyone to, to provide for us. The idea of becoming a doctor came from myself and just like the things that I had witnessed. I don't think that my mom ever uh, suggested it to me. I think for her, and even like before I came to Stanford, I think I, I got into a nursing program back home and, and she was like, nursing is such a great job. And like, why do you have to go so far? Like uh, the school that I had been accepted to was like an hour and a half away. And she's like, and Stanford is 12 hours away. Like we have a college right here. Why don't you just go here? And that was a difficult conversation for us. I think there was also a difficulty behind knowing that I would be in school for like uh, eight plus years. That was a little bit ridiculous for her. Like she was like, what does it take so long? How much is it gonna cost? Like we, and that was another thing for, for me and my family that we talked about was that we did not have expendable income to provide for my education. And so I think my mom, and I, I think this is one of my favorite memories is that my mom, when we would visit like the pharmacare clinic, they would have like these magazines and like flipping through a magazine one day, she saw uh, an ad for like the Gates Millennium uh, scholarship and she like uh, clipped it out of the magazine and like kept it for years and years. And then when I was gonna, when I was a senior, she like took it out and she like, this is what I found. Like, can you apply to this? And luckily I applied and, and received it, but through her unfamiliarity, my mom was always encouraging me along the way having three younger siblings that also wanted to go to college and like get an education I think that became a little bit more difficult for me because then I was having to one I had to apply to college by myself so I had no one I could ask um I kind of figured out through like the internet and just like I don't know it, it was like by grace of God and like miracles that I I was able to figure it out and like do what I had to do but then I felt like oh I have to make sure my siblings are like equipped for success I mean obviously I, I placed internal expectations for myself of knowing that my mom didn't have a retirement plan she doesn't have insurance she doesn't have financial fallbacks so for me and my sister it's like knowing that we're going to take on my mom at some point in our lives but I don't think that my mom ever made that an expectation she always says that at the end of the day your kids will forget you and I think she feels that way because she left our pueblo and like she hasn't been able to go back to see her mom and like all of my mom and her siblings are in the U.S. or far away from the pueblo and so my grandma is by herself like my I think my mom is afraid that that's going to happen to her too or not even afraid I think she kind of expects it so that she doesn't get heartbroken if it does happen I don't think it will but um my mom thinks it will I I lived in Eastern Oregon, which is pretty rural, and there is really no providers of color. A lot of farm workers do not get health insurance by just like the virtue of their job. Health insurance is never included. I think a lot of farm workers end up suffering in silence, and there is a, a clinic that has like a exciting skill payment system and uh, I, I ended up going with not only my mom, so I was an interpreter for my mom, but then eventually became like an interpreter for my community when my mom told her friends or told my aunts that, that I was a good interpreter. And then I started going with like the neighbors, I started going with my tias, I started going with the daughters of my mom's like closest friends. And so during these encounters, I think it was just really difficult for me to see the way that the concerns in my community were distanced by the doctor or they weren't really listening and sometimes just propose like unfeasible things like just stop working for two weeks and then go back when when the bulk of your income comes from summer harvest like stopping for two weeks in the middle of the season is not a realistic expectation one seeing the, those kinds of interactions and then in addition to that seeing just a level of health disparities that existed in my communities language barriers um access to care there was a lot of joint pain and like 
occupational related injuries so like ankle twisting strains on the back my sister for some for one of the summers some of the pesticides they had been using they were like organic pesticides so technically still organic had caused her like breakout and rash that she had all summer and we just like couldn't figure out how to get rid of it and so we think she had a pretty bad allergy to, to that pesticide but it's like things like that you know shouldn't be happening and like more so like this my sister should have been able to go see a doctor for that so i think a combination of all those things turned into me wanting to be a physician to go back and serve rural communities farm worker communities i think the most important thing is to make sure that it gets back to my community in some sort of way i think my community has invested a lot in me of just prayers and hopes and dreams and everything to get me to where i am today and i think that it would be such a disservice to them to not go back and not serve them. Um so I'm really I'm seriously thinking about what a career in rural medicine could look like. I think in addition to that, I also owe a lot to where my parents are from so Oaxaca. Um and I'm thinking also seriously uh, about how I can serve Oaxacan pueblos with my degree because I think that a lot of our pueblos at least from what I've seen and what my mom's told me is that a lot of the pueblos do not have doctors and they live many hours from doctors at most they have like a casa de salud which is just like this little room in the municipio that has like first aid stuff and there's sometimes it's staffed by a nurse sometimes it's not bigger pueblos get pasantes which are like volunteer or doctors that are completing their like volunteer requirement in Mexico at the end of the day i think my degree will be for the use of my community i'm not sure exactly what that looks like uh, what that means being a provider i also want to incorporate educational outreach I don't know that I talked to my mom about my dreams. You know, I think they always come up in passing. You know, my mom wants to go to ba- back to Oaxaca. I think that's her her ultimate dream. Um and I think at the end of the day as Mixtecos are and in indigenous Oaxacans our our dreams are to go back to our pueblos. So I think we have the same dream just in different forms. I didn't really ask for my mom's opinion until this past summer. when my sister so my sister just graduated from college and you know I'd never asked my mom like oh mom what do you think about me and Jenny going to college and me and Jenny and Kevin going to college and um I think this past summer she started talking with her friends and like every time that they would ask her oh like what do your kids do she would she would be able to say that like her daughter has an office job because my sister is a software engineer and she's like my daughter has an office job and because in the fields they know like our family and so they're like oh where's Jenny it's like oh Jenny graduated from college and she has a good job she's a, she's very proud and my mom was also very humble and like will not tell people unless they ask she's happy i mean i think her biggest dream was seeing like me and my sister graduate from college which which we have and um she's been i think that was really all she wanted <laughs> did my undergrad here at Stanford. I got a BA in human biology with a concentration in global public health and after that decided to stay on for another two years to get my masters in epidemiology, uh which is like a subfield of public health and after that I decided to stay on for another four years and uh I started my medical program so I'm Uh, in the MD program here at Stanford. I don't know what specialty I'm going into yet. I think generally interested in otolaryngology, which is like an uh, ears, nose, throat doctor, family medicine for sure. Yeah, those are like the two that I'm thinking about. I think it's <laughs> it's a little bit difficult because I'm still a first a first year med student. I think the biggest thing is just like not being afraid to ask for help. I think that I I really struggled with asking for help because I had figured it out on my own for so long. I think there's so many people who want to help you and so many people who want to see you succeed. I think in addition to that, I think knowing that it's not impossible 
it's only impossible if you don't try and so i think that was something that got me through a lot of difficult moments of just barriers that seemed so large that i was like i will never be able to like do this and you know i would try and then that barrier would shrink i think it was very a very difficult conversation because my mom did not want me to leave the state and i think for her our community college back at home equaled the college that i was coming to in california and she was like why do you have to go so far when the community college is like right here like you can just go right here and like stay at home and like how do i know you're going to be safe and like even now she still calls me like every day to make sure that i'm i'm safe but i think that that conversation was just so difficult because i had been doing so much for my family for so long and i would i knew that i was going to have to pass off some of those responsibilities either to my younger sister or like to my mom like teach her how to how to do these things um that i've been doing like i and even now i still i still pay for some of the bills online i think it's a conversation that has to be navigated carefully because i think it comes from a good place usually it's a place of fear uh, of fear of what could happen to you or like what could happen to the family if you leave i think i told one of my high school teachers about this that oh my mom doesn't want me to go because it's so far and like i think she called her and like told her like please let her go like stanford is a great school and like she will it will it will be worth it at the end my name is yana nino tapias and i'm a first generation mixteca oaxaqueña or first year medical student here at stanford and what makes me nerdy is my love for stationery. <laughs> If you want to support me or my education, I have included my Venmo and Amazon wishlist here. wondering if you could touch a little bit about that fear of failure. What would you say to somebody who has a comfortable job? And right now, it's not the ideal time to take risks either, right? I, I just told my boss, I was like, listen, if you don't give me this position, I'm jumping ship. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> Afterwards. I'm proud of you for doing that because <laughs> it takes a lot of guts to do that. Yeah. And, and can you tell our listeners about how to combat those thoughts of fear of failure? and pursue their dreams and their passions. Yeah, yeah, of course. I've failed so much um, and it's great. <laughs> I wouldn't be where I am today had I not been failing all this time. So this is probably the number one complaint that I get from people that come to me for coaching or that work with me. Everybody's afraid of failure. And it's so funny because, you know, as children, had we been afraid of failure, we wouldn't even be walking today. Could you imagine like taking one step and tumbling over and being like, ah, forget it. Mm -mm, not doing this anymore, mama. You're going to have to carry me my whole life. <laughs> like that's just not, you know, how life works. And like as children, we know to get back up and keep trying. But I think it's just in this like time in, in our life when everything is just visible digitally, you know, like we all see each other through social media you know, we're really scared to put something out there that doesn't turn into something great. And like, especially with TikTok, like we see people posting a few videos going viral and suddenly they just kind of blow up that like, you know, if you post a video, it only has a hundred views or something, then you're saying it only has a hundred views, but that's a hundred people that hadn't seen you before. So taking a step back to, to failure, I think failure is a part of life. Could you imagine if we had never failed? We learn so much more by failing than we do by succeeding. We learn a lot about ourselves. We learn about what we like, what we don't like. We learn about what didn't work. And failure is just kind of a part of life. And if we are afraid of, of failing, then we aren't even living. 
you want to fail because if you're not failing, you're not trying. Like your, your goals aren't big enough if they don't scare you. And everybody's going to be afraid of, of not being successful. But I'll tell you that the way to find your purpose and to align with it is by trying multiple things. And I, I, almost, I almost feel like failure doesn't really exist. It's more redirection because anytime something doesn't work out, there's another thing to try or there's another route to take. And if you can just reframe the way that you think about failure as redirection, I think that's really helpful. So I started off my content creation career about five years ago. I started off as a food blogger and I would, I was pretty consistent. I did this for about like two or three years and it kind of got to the point where I was like, it started to feel like homework and, but I didn't want it to be a failure. So I would like, I stuck with it. And I think a lot of times, like we're so afraid of looking like we failed that we hold on to things that no longer serve us for way too long. If you try something and it is no longer filling your cup, if it's not bringing you joy, there is no reason to stick with it. Like who cares what other people say? Who cares what other people think? If something is no longer fulfilling, like peace out. You, your time is so limited. This is the only life that you get. Like you better spend it on the things that like bring you joy and really like spark you up. So I ended up finally cutting cords with this food blog and I went to go become a yoga instructor. And through this yoga journey, I was like, okay, like this is it. Like this is how I'm going to do it. This is how I'm going to leave tech. I'm going to become like a big content creator around yoga. I'm going to have private clients. I'm going to do retreats. And I started to do it. And again, it didn't really start to fill my cup. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like I've tried so many things already. You would, you would think by now I would know. And I will for sure tell you that had I not done the food blog and then yoga, there's no way that this coaching thing would have picked up for me the way it has, because this literally was from one month to another, I was booked and hosting this, this group coaching program. But during those five years, I learned how to create content. I learned how to start up a website. I learned how to create content on a consistent basis. I learned how to connect with my audience. I also, being a yoga instructor taught me so much about mindfulness. It goes into a lot of my coaching style actually. So I would say failure isn't real. What actually happens is redirection and every single experience will lead you to the next. Even if you think it's a waste of time, uh-uh, what did you learn? You know, a lot of times we think like, oh, I'm just wasting my life at this job that's like unfulfilling. Well, like, what is this unfulfilling job teaching you? It's teaching you how to work with other people. It's maybe taught you how to work with Excel. You know, whatever those skills are, you're going to take those with you. Those don't stay behind when you quit your job. If I didn't work in tech for eight years, there's no way I'd be running a business right now the way I am by myself, pretty much. I have one girl that, that helps me and she just started working. So she can't really help me that much anymore, but you know, had I not had that experience, I wouldn't be able, I wouldn't be capable of doing the amount of things I'm doing right now. You said one key word and got my attention. And that was the word purpose. That word comes up all the time. And what is purpose? Is it my reason for living? It is my reason for being like I was placed on this earth for this reason. Like it seems like it's vital for survival, right? To living on this earth. Otherwise, what's the point? Uh, and some people be like, there is no point. <laughs> but for those that do believe that there is a point for being on, on this earth and haven't been able to find their purpose, they could be 50 years old and be like, I still do not know my purpose. What are the questions that our listeners can ask themselves to get closer to this answer? That is an excellent question. 
I really do believe that the questions you ask are, you know, the answer isn't important. The question is what's important, especially because the answer will keep evolving. So one of the things I really have, um, at, well, my, my group coaching program is called Purpose Driven Latina. So normally people come to me to find their purpose. So we're really focused on that. And a lot of it ends up being through self-discovery, right? Discovering what you truly want, not what your family wants, not what your community wants, but like, what do you want for yourself? So when you are really struggling to find your purpose, I am a big believer that every struggle that you face in your life serves a purpose. And like, it doesn't just serve any purpose. I feel like it serves your purpose. So I really encourage people to think back at like, okay, what struggles have I gone through in my life that I have now overcome? Because typically people want to go help others with that as well. If you suffered from domestic abuse, more than likely you're going to have a real like passion for helping people that are also going through that situation. And looking through, through your own past experiences, a lot of times we are still healing from our struggles. So a lot of times we are literally building up to be able to fulfill and live our purpose. Yeah. Many times we just like want to know already. And in this world of social media and technology, when everything is so instant and so quick, we expect everything in our life to be that way. Like, why haven't I met the guy of my dreams? Why haven't I met the girl of my dreams? Why haven't like, I already, why isn't my, my business like taking off already? Like we expect things to happen right away. But if you are still living through, you know, whatever it is that you need to live through to get to your purpose, maybe you're building up for it. And, you know, this is all part of your journey and you need all of this. But if you feel like you're ready, you know, like, okay, I, I have all these interests and I don't really know like which one to, which one to dig deep into. There's something called ikigai. That is uh, a Japanese word that means um, like reason for being. And it's a really fun exercise that you can find online, but it has you ask yourself, like, what do I love? And then what does the world need? What can I get paid for? And what am I good at? And it really just has you reflect on all these things. And they are essentially circles that then kind of overlap one another. And from there, when the circles overlap, so like what you love and what you're good at is your passion. And what you love and what the world needs is your mission, you know, or like, or your purpose. So I would highly suggest people do that exercise. But as far as the questions to ask themselves, it would be like, what have I lived in my life that I want to help other people with? That would be one. Two, when I'm doing like these activities, I feel the most like fulfilled and happy and most energetic. Um, I'd also encourage people to write down like what makes me feel depleted like what takes joy away from me it's really important to know like what takes your energy and a lot of times it could be people a lot of times it could be like spaces that you once really fit into and you no longer like you've outgrown them because we all grow so i would say those would be questions to to ask yourself the difference between like passion and purpose i would say passion would be you enjoying like taking a hike or you maybe you're passionate about doing makeup or maybe you're passionate about like being in the kitchen like your passions are for you it's what you like to do but your purpose your purpose is like what are you bringing to the world like what piece of you are you bringing to the rest of the world so you know using like those examples maybe instead of like hiking maybe your your purpose is like getting latinas to connect more with the outdoors because of all the like benefits or maybe it could be like teaching Latinas how to make food that like heals, like healing through food. So it's not so much about you, but about others. Like what part about you are you sharing with other people?
so I'm the middle child. Uh, I have a older sister and a younger brother. Most people only know about my older sister because she works with me through Adelita. But I have a younger brother. We're all four years apart. So my sister is 26, I'm 22, and my brother's 18. So when we say family, usually people just use like their mom and siblings and mm -hmm. their dad. But we also count our aunts and our grandma who just recently passed away. But we always count them too because we've always been together. When we lived in Mexico, they were also part of our family. So they're like our extended moms. I came here when I was five. My sister was nine and my brother was literally a baby. So we came here. I'm not really sure why. I just remember when I was little, we had like a goodbye party. My aunt, she's a nun. She always tells me this story about how I was so happy that I was going to come to America because in America, I didn't have to wear a dress. And I remember being happy and that we were going to go to Disneyland. You know, the typical immigrant story, you're coming to Disneyland, but you stay. When my sister and I got DACA for the first time, we actually went to Disney World. And my brother, when he got DACA, we took him to Disney World too. <laughs> I know there's something more deeper of why we came here, but we don't, well, at least I don't know why. I remember going to school and my mom always saying, you know, you have to have A's, you have to have A pluses. I used to go to parent-teacher conferences and my mom would get mad if I had an A minus because she was stuck on that A plus. It has to be a plus if it has a minus, it's not enough. So not directly would they tell me that they wanted me to be successful, but it's always something that our parents want us to be better. And my dad, just till this day, he's like, oh, I want you guys to make it big so you guys don't have to work like I do. Right now it's 4, 11 p.m. here in Los Angeles and my dad's still at work. So he's always like, I want you guys to be able to take the day off and whenever you want and just be able to afford to not have to work yourself to death. We didn't have to talk about college until my brother started. I think it was just always an idea that my parents already had that we were going to go to college. It wasn't even a question. It was just going to happen. And, you know, thankfully for them, it did. It did just happen and we were lucky enough. But I also think that when, you know, my parents migrated, they didn't really have a plan on where we're going to live because a lot of people plan of coming here and then, you know, the family's like, yes, we'll take care of you. You can stay here. But the plans change the moment you're actually here. Like, I remember a little bit about when I when we did arrive, but I remember that we lived basically in all of our uncle's houses. We were house by house. I don't think they planned that much ahead. It was just, let's hope that, you know, we find a way out there. The conversation of college, like it only came up for my brother because my brother was very, he didn't talk about college. He didn't talk about what he wanted me to, um, to do when he grew up. So my dad's thing was more like, well, if you don't go to college, then you could stay here. Yeah, but you're going to have to do something like you have to contribute to the family. Like even me now, I still at home and I don't pay rent, but I'm still helping because sometimes like our food gets paid through Adelitas. Like Adelitas is basically like the family income. And, but even now I'm not hearing much about law school because that's what I wanted to do until I figured out that I'm not happy with that. It's only been a conversation when it seems like they're just uncertain of what we want or what we plan on doing. Well, when I was younger, I, I knew I was undocumented. I just didn't know there was limits to it. I was just like, oh, I'm just undocumented. You know, just how I'm a girl, I thought, oh, I'm undocumented. So I used to want to uh, be a vet until I didn't want to be a vet. I've always changed my career practices just because I, I love animals. And then we lived with my grandma who had about 30 cats. And I decided I don't like all animals. 
And I was like, I don't want to be a vet anymore. And then I got stuck with the idea of, oh, I want to be a lawyer. I want to help people and I want to help like people like me. And it's always stuck because I fight. So you're not pelionera. So I've always like been on the verge of always fighting everybody just because that's just how I grew up, having to always be defensive. I mean, even in college, like when my professor would say something I didn't agree on, I was like, why am I going to pay to be sitting in this class and not you know, voice my opinion. So Adelita started because my sister and I, when we started, it was when she started college, she needed a way to pay for her books. So she started selling vintage clothing. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, I want to make money too. So then I was selling band shirts. And we started selling all that only because my dad was like, oh, if you guys want to do that, okay, I'll help fund you. And he gave us both a $50 bill. And he was like, $50 bills for both of you guys, whatever you guys want to do, do it. Use it. And my sister used it for vintage clothing. And then my mom knew some lady who sold band shirts and she took me to find out where to buy my own band shirts so I could resell them. And that's what I did with my 50 bucks. And even the lady who I used to buy the band shirts from, she's still the one who's screen printing our shirts. Like to this day, she's still working with us, which is amazing. And then one day we just decided like, you know, it would be funner to have our own designs on shirts that we're selling and hopefully that helps us like become bigger because we used to be my sister and i were really big in the community we used to sell through instagram i used to sell to the wife of the chicano batman's main singer so we've always been around these people which it's like thankfully has helped us like grow bigger we made adelitas and we didn't actually grow until a year ago so it was when the SCOTUS hearing trial when people started finding us more and we got our first 1K on Instagram. And then after that, we thankfully have grown this big. The DACA fund that came about, it was recently when they opened DACA for like a day for new recipients. You know, I was like, yeah, we're gonna fund all these DACA. Mind you, I thought we were really small. I thought we were gonna get like five people. DACA opened and we reached 28 people who were like, hey, I need help. From those 28, we have funded about, I think we're at number 15 DACA so far we have funded. And it's all a collective from everybody in the community, DACA, non-DACA, and citizens who have sent us items to sell. So the way that it works is that we have some items that are by us to sell and other profits go to DACA. And then we have other people who are like, hey, I love what you do and I want to donate a shirt. And it's either buy them or they just buy it and send it to us, which is amazing. To see how many people have looked at us and said, hey, yeah, we want to do this with you. Because it's so easy to see that someone's doing good and want to do the same thing just because they'll have your name. But the way we've done it is like we tell them, send us a bio, send us your business card. We have business cards from other shops too. We tell them like, send us in bulk. So when we sell outside of the DACA fund, we also just send business cards from other sh shops too. I mean, there's no point on looking at each other as our competition, like we could all go together. Ooh, our Abolish Ice Baby is one of our most popular ones. And it's crazy because it was our first sticker. We didn't even have any stickers. I saw this um, deal and I was like, Let's sell stickers. And I was in the middle of my class because I used to, um, when I was in class, I used to ship items while in class and like post and everything. So I was in class making these stickers and we sold out in the first day that we had them here. And it was crazy because we've never sold out before. And our Abolish Ice baby, we call, we call him baby Leopoldo after our grandpa. We never met our grandpa, but 
we always hear stories about how all my uh, uncles wanted to come here and he would be like oh you'll never see me in america you guys could come and go but i will never go over there so it was something that i always admired of him because he always saw it as something that that was evil and you know growing up everyone tells you like oh it must be so cool to be in america like my my cousins who live in mexico are always asking us like oh but how is it over there and uh, about a year or two ago we were able to get one of my tias to come to visit she's the one who makes our earrings we are we were able to pay for her to get her visa and she was also able to bring her child and he was the one who was born before um after we came so we never met him we met him for the first time and he was telling us that he was so happy to come here during halloween because he always heard stories about halloween here and he wanted to come that's why i created abolish ice baby and then the other one after that is our resilient shirt which is our very first design that we've made and the first item that we ever sold as a shop was a shirt a resilient shirt to another DACA recipient so when we launched we didn't actually sell anything until three months after so it's been crazy how intertwined our community has been through our entire history and and now including including the face masks and the beanies the beanies have been loved by a lot of people which i'm really happy about i love beanies so we're selling stickers that say undocumented citizens and the gina rodriguez has uh let's research the let's research mama stickers and the i am an undocumented citizen who voted stickers so one of the cool things about the community that we have built is that when people want a sticker or they want a design they just ask us and we're like okay we'll do it we'll give it to you and there was an interview i believe it was gina rodriguez with barack obama asking if undocumented citizens could get deported for voting and it was very troublesome because not only are you giving false information but you're also saying that we're in some way of status because we have daca so we made these stickers that was almost a joke to that and also just a way for us to be involved in the voting process that we're never really involved in everybody wants to talk about immigration when it comes to voting because they want to make us believe that we're going to get something out of it and unfortunately we are always the token and we're doubled around until somebody decides you know that they want to help us or they want to destroy us and there was it's a little fun way of saying you know we are always in this turmoil around this turmoil and let's have a little fun with it let's joke about it let's embrace this little sticker that some of us actually feel bad about not getting and some of us are just tired of having to be told to vote when we can't so let's make these stickers that say that we can't vote or that we voted because we're undocumented citizens or not and that's how they became about oh our family loves it they are excited to see us get big especially because everything has been going like all of a sudden So my tias, like they love seeing the Instagram posts when we share other people wear a mask. Recently, some of my friends uh, met my tias and they were wearing her mask and she was telling me like, oh, and people actually buy them. And it's just like, yeah, they do. And my tia from Mexico who makes our earrings, she also sees that all these people are wearing them. To us or to other people, they think that they're just another customer. But, you know, my mom packages the packages and it's like, oh my God, look, this one's going to Puerto Rico. Oh, look, this one's going to New York. And it's so nice to feel like you could actually go there. Like the only people who could travel in our family is like me, my sister, my brother. 
but it feels different when you feel like there's a small piece of you somewhere else that you can't go to Puerto Rico but at least a part of you is over there so it's so nice to have them involved there's always a conversation of yeah but you went to college and now you're not using it like you're not a lawyer like you want it to be and my dad is always telling us like well at the end of the day if you're using it in some way or form you're still using it you're still have a degree you did it whatever you are doing right now if that makes you happy then that's all we want and I look at whatever I'm doing and I don't feel like I'm working I feel like I'm helping my community and that's what I wanted to do being a lawyer I wanted to help my community and I feel like this is a better way of doing that so I feel like I most definitely surpassed it well, you can support our business by following us on either Twitter, TikTok, on Instagram at adelitosapero.com. You can donate to our DACA fund by going to adelitosapero on Cash App or Venmo, or you could buy something from adelitosapero.com under our DACA fund. And follow us, retweet us, do anything, share us, and everything helps. Well, I think I'm nerdy because I love to know everything. I actually kind of want us to sway back a little bit to the conversation of family. What suggestions do you have for young people who are, you know, having those difficult conversations with their family about their new goals? And so what, what advice would you give to those individuals who are seeking to have their family be a part of their journey and really be open and honest about it? That's a really good question because your journey is your journey. And there will be people along the way that are a part of your life, but they aren't on your journey. And many times we expect our parents and our partners and our friends to understand where we're coming from and understand what we're trying to do. But those people haven't lived what you live. So a lot of times if people don't fully support or understand what your new goals are or what you're trying to accomplish, my suggestion is to always have compassion. What's their own journey? Because they don't have access to the knowledge that you have. You know, I know I think we all experience this like I, mean, I don't know if, if, if you two did, but I did during like the, the um, George Floyd situation when like the Black Lives Matter movement became something that was a topic of discussion and like family members of mine were making extended family members would make like racist comments. And I just like, and I immediately of course wanted to just, I, I studied ethnic studies at UC Berkeley. So you can imagine I was, I'm very well informed in this stuff. And I really just had to take a step back and be like, they don't know any better, right? And this is like, I could be upset or I can educate. And I think when it comes to like our own goals, many times we expect people to get where we're coming from and just like believe us and support us, but they're not on your journey. So it's really important to just have compassion. And one of the big things, whenever you have a vision for something, you have to re remember that that is your vision. That is not anyone else's. And like the three of us are all wearing prescription glasses. If we switch these around and try to look through them, would we be able to see? Hell no, we would be so, <laughs> we'd have a headache in an hour. So like your life vision is like that. People cannot see through your prescription. That is yours. And it's your responsibility to make it a reality because once it becomes real, then people will get it. So many times my mom had no idea what this coaching thing was, but now that she kind of sees it happening, she's like, oh, oh, I get it. Like, does she know how to tell my, her friends and like my aunts what it is? No, 
she just like, she started her own business. I don't really know what it is, but <laughs> now she believes in me. And like, because she sees it and she sees that it's going well and she sees the feedback that I get. So, you know, as you're going through this journey of growth and like finding yourself, it's going to be a lonely road. And that's why it's important to find an extended community. And we can't always expect our partners or our childhood friends to fill that role because maybe they have different interests. You know, we all grow in different ways, but most of my community I found online, on Instagram, on TikTok. Um, and a lot of people I haven't even met in person, but like we will have calls and we will help each other out. And this is, you know, 2020, this is the world that we live in now. And as much as like, you know, technology and social media can be like very negative, it can also be used in a very beautiful way. Absolutely. And, and speaking about communities, um, you know, you mentioned TikTok. TikTok is how I discovered you. And so tell us a little bit about, you know, your relationship with your TikTokers and, and what has TikTok helped you accomplish? So I started on TikTok in 2019 at the end of the year, like around the holidays, um, whenever things weren't too busy at my tech job. And I downloaded it because a mentor of mine was like, hey, this is like kind of going to be the next thing, you know, so you should get on it and, and start creating content. So I think I did what everybody else did. I went on and I was like, there's like 12 year olds on here. Like, what am I doing? And of course I only found the 12 year olds at the beginning. I still decided to create a video or two. And I mean, people thought I was insane until quarantine. And I think I got to like 12,000 followers in less than a month. It was crazy. And I've been on Instagram for five years, six years, who knows, maybe even longer. And I'm at the moment, I'm like at 8,000 followers. So I was like, this is insane. You know, the, I was like, are these followers even real? Like, I really wasn't sure if they were real followers. So as I began to create content more and more, I ended up connecting with somebody from TikTok reached out to me because most of the most of the content I was creating was uh, educational or at least, you know, inspirational, which they kind of categorized into educational. And that's how I really started to create content more consistently because they started something called learn on TikTok. That's really where things started picking up for me. From there is when I was like, maybe I should do this coaching thing because I was just getting so much feedback from there. So I can, I can say that my business was built on TikTok. And the first time that I did this, this coaching program, I posted one video. And from that one video, I got almost 300 applications for it, which for a new coach is like unheard of. And it was all because of the power of TikTok, because I said the right thing that my target audience was looking to hear and because of the scalability. So if anybody's out there trying to create content and like trying to do something, I would say put all your eggs in the TikTok basket because it's not going to be this green forever. And I am not the only person that has had this much success on TikTok. I have a bunch of friends that have literally built businesses from TikTok. So this, this tortilla company um, called Pinole Blue, mm -hmm. I connected with them when we were like both at like 10,000 followers. They sent me some tortillas. I was like, oh, I used to be a food blogger. I like made a few videos for them for on, on Instagram. They have like, I want to say like 200,000 followers now. They're always sold out of their product. And this is literally from TikTok. 
they had wow. to like, hire a bunch of people to help them with like fulfilling, fulfilling the orders. So I definitely feel like it's the place to grow. I also, what I love about TikTok over something like Instagram, and of course, Instagram now has reels, which I think you should use both of those. And if you could keep it under 30 seconds, post the video on both, on both Instagram and on, and on TikTok, because why not if you're already creating the content? So yeah. about the community on TikTok is that the, the stuff that's go, that goes viral is like the real authentic stuff. Like I want to say my most viewed video, I'm like wearing no makeup. I'm in a hoodie. My hair's in a messy bun. And it's like, people don't care about, you know, just a perfect photo as like, as Instagram used to be. So that's something that I enjoy about the TikTok community. Like just really, it's really authentic people because us as humans, we're so over like that fake shit that you can tell right away whenever somebody's authentic and that's like the, the realest people. And something about the algorithm is like impressive. I don't really know how they do it. I don't know either. It's freaky, but they're spot on. Yeah. And I like one of the most common comments that I receive is, wow, I really needed to hear that. Or like, wow, this was exactly what I needed today. And it's just like, I get that over and over and over and over, but like it even happens for myself. And I remember I didn't tell TikTok that I spoke Spanish and they were already putting like videos in Espanol and I was like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, I jam with this. Uh, guys, I don't know. I'm on stripper TikTok. I do not. Don't ask me how I got there. I'm on jail TikTok. I'm on witch TikTok. Again, don't ask me how I got there, but I'm there. <laughs> jail TikTok? What is jail TikTok? People in jail who TikTok. What? There's literally like inmates who TikTok from prison. What? What? <laughs> I didn't know that. Yes, I mean, I, I'm, I will definitely share a video, but I'm being serious. I've definitely got in prison t- where I've seen people who are in prison like dancing on TikTok. Oh my god! With their with their with their roommates. <laughs> well, that that's good... wild times, guys. Yeah, <laughs> wild times. People sharing what they love. Um, and it almost gets at the core of what you were saying all along. I do want to touch back on on what you were saying about validation. That is a lonely road. And I feel like sometimes we want to be successful to obtain that validation. That, mija, que bueno, I'm so proud of you. Um, that Those words, we want to hear them. Mm-hmm. What would you say to young people, man, to anyone, looking for success to obtain that validation? It's important to give yourself validation because people are always going to find something to say. And I have no doubt that like the people close to you, like your parents obviously like want what's best for you. But if you do what they want you to do so that you can receive validation in a few years, you are going to be so resentful, not just of your parents, but you're going to be angry with yourself for not doing what you actually wanted to do. And this is, this is your only life. Like this is not trial, you know, number one, this is, this is it. And I think if this year of 2020 has like really taught us anything, it's that we don't know what's going to happen. Like tomorrow is really not guaranteed. And if you do something to make somebody else happy and just for that validation, that's like receiving, you know, a short term gratification for long-term suffering, because in the end, you are just going to be resentful if you don't do, if you don't do what you actually want to do. I think it's 
really just validating yourself because all of us are enough with who we already are. We don't need accomplishments to go be validated. And a lot of times our society does put the focus on that. Like, oh, the person that can be the most productive, the person that can get the best grades, the person that, you know, X, Y, and Z. But like really in the long term, what do straight A's really get you? So I think it's just about really validating yourself and being okay with who you are and accepting yourself imperfectly because nobody is perfect. Like what is perfection? That's an opinion. And what is perfect for one person won't be perfect for another. So I just think it's, of course, like we don't want to disappoint our family, right? We, we're wired for human connection, especially being Latinas. We love our family. It's part of who we are. It's part of our culture. And that's like where a lot of this like anxiety and resistance comes from because we want to do what makes our parents happy, but like our parents aren't living our life. We are. We have to define success for ourselves, right? There is not one definition for success. I always thought it was being the best student and went going to college, went to college, not doing anything with that degree. So how can a young person define their own success? I think you're spot on that, you know, success is not like one size fits all. For one person, success could be making enough money to be able to live out on the beach and live a super chill life. For other people, success might be, you know, running a nonprofit for, so that really just varies. And I think it's important to ask yourself, like, what do I value in, in life? And really start to treat your own life like a business. And you are the CEO of that business. And you have a board of directors, which is the people you surround yourself with. So ensure that the people that you surround yourself with are helping your business get to where, get to where you want to go. And like, when you think about this, like your business of life, what are your values? Like, what do you actually care about? You know, if you really value freedom and, and adventure, then maybe, you know, running a multi-million dollar company when you have no time off and no freedom isn't exactly what you want. So I think it's important to define your values and you can, you can find that by just like, you know, thinking about experiences in your life and asking yourself like, what about that? Did I not like, oh, I didn't have enough adventure in that. So I didn't really enjoy that. Come to a conclusion in that moment. But once you start asking yourself, what do I value and start begin and continue to live your life, then you can become more aware of, oh, I, I don't really value that, but I value this other thing a lot. And when this happened, I was really grateful. And so to close off, first and foremost, I would like to thank you so much again for taking the time to, to speak with us. Like, I really enjoyed listening to, you know, your words of motivation and inspiration. And so how can our listeners connect with you? Uh, what if they're interested in joining one of your workshops? Tell us how they can connect with you and support your business. Yes. So my Instagram handle is at the Erica Cruz. So it's T-H-E. Erica is spelled E-R-I-K-A and then Cruz is C-R-U-Z. That is the same handle that you can find me at TikTok as well as Instagram as well as my website. So my website is www.theericacruz.com. What makes you nerdy? A lot. I love being a nerd. And had you asked me this question, you know, seven years ago, six years ago, I would have probably been like, yeah, I'm not, but I totally am. And I love it. And there <laughs> <laughs> I would say the things that make me nerdy is that I love watching documentaries. So I really like whenever something can be 
educational, but also entertaining and they can do it in, in a good way. I read a lot of self-help books as well as I read a lot about like mindfulness and meditation because I feel like that's very aligned with self-discovery. Love of learning is what makes me nerdy. And then my willingness to also share it with others. Like not only do I want to learn to like for my own advancement, but I want to learn so we can all collectively advance. Thank you, Erica, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Nerdy Latinas Podcast. Please share us, review us, and send us a voice message. We'd love to hear from you. We'd also like to thank our guests and Madera Once for allowing us to use their beautiful music for this episode. Please join us in the next episode of Nerdy Latinas Podcast. <laughs>